Hello, this is Case for Kinky with me, Jen, and Eden, and today's episode is a part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, it's your choice. I think you could listen to these either way in any order, but this is part two of, what's it called again? Stereotype me. <laughs> Stereotype me about identifier stereotypes and at least our opinion on more of the reality of those identifiers. So enjoy part two. Hello, and welcome to the Case for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics. So if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. Hi, Miss Jen. Hello, Eden. How are you on this fine, rainy day? It's raining, by the way, in case you're listening and didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's cold. um, And I think we... uh, we need to do some shout outs. We do need to do some shout outs because we have patrons who have reached the shout out level. Um, so without further dudes, let's go ahead and list them. Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Paul. Thank you for being a patron. Thank you, Paul. Jack, sir. Thank Yay. you. Thank you. Jocelyn. Jason. Oh. <laughs> and Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. You're and wonderful. forever thanks to Pudding. Pudding. Pudding, who is on our Call Me Kingster tier. If you want to be a Call Me Kingster, check it out. Um, And without further dudes, we're going to go ahead and get into this episode. So last week we left off on the identifiers for Kingster and Exploring. Um, And today we're going to go ahead and pick right back up with Disciplinarian. Whew, what a word. What an identifier. I love when people identify as disciplinarians because to me, that stereotype in my brain goes right to, ooh, teacher-student. I mean, it goes right into role play for me. Um, I think that is a stereotype for sure, seeing as that's a knee-jerk response. Yeah, I guess I see the stereotype of being one of the Spanko world. Yeah, totally. Um, Another stereotype for disciplinarian would simply be that you really enjoy discipline and you like to be in a situation where rules are set up that are probably pretty meticulous so that they can be broken. Because what's the fun of being a disciplinarian if you have no one to discipline? I guess I would say that an assumption or a stereotype might be that your preference or that you require all of your power exchange dynamics to include a a punishment dynamic. Like not all dynamics include punishment as part of their dynamic, but the, the stereotype might be that if you identify as a disciplinarian, that that is part of your requirement of being in a power exchange with you. Um, the the reality of that is that not necessarily like they might enjoy that aspect within scenes, but not necessarily as a part of their power exchange relationship. Well, another thing too, like another stereotype, honestly, like when I hear disciplinarian, it just feeds right into my mommy complex. And I think part of that is because when we hear discipline, we often think of parent child dynamic. And so I wonder if there's also kind of a stereotype in some people's minds of this being like a mommy or daddy and like little relationship um in reality age play world basically yeah in reality the word discipline doesn't necessarily mean punishment and it doesn't necessarily mean like role play um having discipline just simply means having order having order and control over how you spend time and over how you manage yourself and other things around you um so there may be people those terms are interchanged a lot yeah there may be people who are disciplinarians who are actually just more about providing structure for the person that they're paired with or for themselves Um, I definitely think it's worth an ask if you see someone identifying as a disciplinarian. And I have noticed that people in the scene who identify that way on FetLife usually include why in their Fet profile. Um, Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Echo's attacking Fable, so you might need to pause. Hey, knock it off. Um, (laughs) Echo. Echo. Echo, stop. stop. Leave him alone. He's allowed to be up there. You do not own the boxes. You don't get the high ground all over the house. He's very upset by what we're telling him right Giant now. Giant chunk. <laughs> <He's>, all right. <laughs> He's shocked. He's in shock all right. and awe. <laughs> so the next identifier that we're going to be touching on is fetishist. This identifier is really hard for me to think of a stereotype with other than like when I hear the word fetish, I think it's just a hangover from like being vanilla for so long. Because like you basically, we all are born vanilla 
because um, we're all forced into the vanilla world because that's usually the predominant culture for the most part we learn to be kinky even if we are inherently kinky we have to absorb and learn kink culture so we come into kink with vanilla stereotypes I hear the word fetish and I think ooh dirty wrong bad and like I still have to like oh, disconnect that's not what I think I still have to disconnect the word fetish from those early connotations. I obviously no longer think that way. But when I hear the word fetishist, I, part of me has that like, – there's that stereotype that I wonder if other people also carry like a little bit of a taboo feeling when you hear the word fetishist. Um, but I also assume when someone says they're a fetishist that they are specifically interested only in a few fetishes in the scene. That's like a stereotype or an assumption that some people may have when they see the word fetishist. Yeah, I mean I don't – when I see fetishist, I my my assumption is they're into specific fetishes, which typically is described as inanimate objects or parts of the body that are required for satisfaction, if you will. Satisfaction. Um, and so that's how I see it, which may be the reality of why a lot of people identify that way, because they do have one or more fetishes under that description. Um, but I think one stereotype that a lot of people make is when they see that they automatically go to one of the most popular fetishes, which Leather is the foot fetish or foot or foot. also also, though, um, uh, latex. Latex is another big one. That well, there's a lot says. of big fetishes, but I think foot fetish is the one that gets the worst reputation in the scene. And I think it gets associated the most with the term fetish in a, on a global scale. That actually is true. I had never thought about that before. Well, obviously, of course, when somebody identifies as a fetishist, this could mean a billion different things. But like most yeah. likely it it indicates that they have certain things they're particularly interested in that they kind of specialize in. It does not mean it's automatically feet, automatically yeah. leather, automatically no, latex. Name, name a part of the body or an inanimate object. There is a fetish for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it could – another like thing, like it could also mean that they see their interest in kink as a fetish. They don't see it as – something else for themselves. But honestly, again, like you really need to check in with somebody when they have an identifier like this, because most likely the stereotypes or the assumptions you might make are really just born from um, connotations or inherent prejudice that you carry with the word. So definitely check in and learn more about it when you're meeting somebody who identifies this way. Um, the next word we're going to, I can't even say this out loud without, I'm just going to, there's going to be a whole torrent of stereotypes that come out right now. Swinger. There are oh. a lot. Of I was expecting something like, I didn't know what I was expecting. No. I was like, what are you going to come up I with? I have heard of a ton of stereotypes for swingers. Some of them, obviously stereotypes are often based in like lived experiences that are true or like patterns people observe. But the problem with a stereotype, especially like the ones we're going to list for swingers, is that they really do irreparable harm to the perception of the community or for people who identify the, this way. The biggest stereotype for swingers that I have heard is um, one being sexually you know, very like hypersexual. Um, and the second biggest one is a lack of concern for consent. That's something that's really big that I have heard in the scene that swinger, the swinger community doesn't care as much about consent and they have the reversed opinion about consent. Um, so whereas in the BDSM world it's often taught, don't touch and don't approach, um, in a sexual way, unless you've been given permission to do that. In the swinger world, the stereotype that I have heard is that um, you are going to be touched and you're going to be approached and you're going to be basically fetishized until you tell them no. So until consent is withdrawn in the swinger community, it's assumed. Um, and that is the probably most damaging and uh, one of the loudest stereotypes I've heard about Well, what we have to remember is that at least here in in the state of California, in the region that we are in, it's these are two mostly separate communities. Um, there are other places in the world or in the nation that they're conflated a lot more, but here in SoCal, um, there you'll see a bit more. Like there are a few more parties that will combine the two, but they are really separate cultures, separate communities, and so part of me is like, well, yeah, there's the stereotype that their consent works differently. But that's also a major reality is that it is a different type of consent structure. And it's okay if you understand that going in. I think the problem lies when the when people from one community go into the other assuming that 
consent is the same. I mean, yes, if we're talking about like how based in reality the stereotype is, like, you know, we can argue that it's not so much a stereotype as it is like a general truth but i don't know that it is general truth i simply know that like you yourself have had experiences that way and there are people who who claim this but i think it's wrong to assume that all swingers are incapable of or don't have an interest in understanding or learning consent rules based in bdsm and they're also probably i I didn't okay this (laughs) this is not an attack on you i know but i just want to make it very clear that is not what i meant i understand smaller portions of swingers who create their own private parties who all know each other because I think another stereotype is that, oh, it's just people who are strangers going and hooking yeah. up at clubs. And usually married, the married couples go together. They leave with other married couples and swap. Like there's all these like kind of stereotypes in our heads. Another big one um, that's not as common, but like I feel like there's a stereotype that swingers don't always practice ethical polyamory or that they don't perceive what they're doing to be polyamory. They sort of just see it as just sex. And that's well, not true at all. I don't know if it'd be polyamory, but it would be... Well, polysexuality is under, okay, whatever, is under the umbrella umbrella of non-monogamy. But uh, I kind of tend to use the word polyamory, not monogamy interchangeably, and maybe I need to kind of update that in my brain. But the point that I'm saying is that just because somebody identifies as a swinger, it does not remove them from the umbrella of non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy. It does not remove them from having done the work to be able to do it. We shouldn't be assuming that swingers in anywhere are behaving unethically or that they don't care or that they're only interested in sex. They might be interested in a lot of other things. Um, well, yeah, often they're there with their partners. Yeah, but also I'm saying is maybe the people that they're swinging with do sort of become partners to them. Like, I think it's just we sometimes see the swinger community, at least in the L.A. scene, is so disconnected from BDSM and potentially even so disconnected from the ethical non-monogamy community um, that we forget that not only is there overlap, but like we don't really know case by case what each person who identifies as a swinger is actually doing on their end to be ethical or what they're actually interested in. So it's kind of important, even if you do understand that maybe it's true that consent might work a little differently in swinger circles, it's important not to just automatically assume the worst um, when you meet a swinger. Um, And there are plenty of people who are in both worlds and totally understand the difference in terms of consent and based on where they are. Another stereotype that I actually think does feed into polyamory stereotypes um, is this whole like looking for a third or looking for people to swing with. Unicorn. Yeah. There's this stereotype of, I think for swingers, the assumption that they're constantly hunting for people to swing with, like they're insatiable. Um, And I just don't think that that's accurate um and again I, I just think some of these stereotypes while they might even be funny to imagine um they can be harmful when you're interacting with real people who identify this way so i would yeah, say they can overlap just don't assume i would i would check your stereotypes at the door you can keep things in your back of your mind but i would really try to learn how somebody interacts with this word swinger before you make assumptions and i would also look at party rules and if you're curious about swinging and you're from bdsm or if you're just curious about swinging in general um and you want to ask questions reach out to the party host or talk to swingers in your area and ask them like how do you go about this what's a party like for you like you know what's how do you feel about the word consent what does that mean to you yeah if i want to go to a party but i don't necessarily want to partake in certain things how do i indicate that yeah my favorite representation in vanilla media of swingers is from the grinch with jim carrey um there's a flashback scene there's a flashback scene of his his two mothers there's like they're like queer women by the way who are represented as as a couple it's amazing. But there's a flashback scene in Whoville when the Grinch gets dropped off by the stork, basically, where you see that they're having, like, they drop your keys in the bucket and they're having a swinger party um, on Christmas Eve. And it's really, really funny. I clearly really need funny. to watch this movie again. It's because really, really. I have no idea what you're talking it's about. super duper funny. You're and sure it's this like, is the actual movie, right? And yes. Not like some I'm fanfic certain. thing that you no, read. No, it's okay. not fanfic of the Grinch. <laughs> Um, but it's a really funny little moment where like you see kind of swinger culture. I think the most interesting thing to me of all with swinger culture is the way that it's permeated vanilla comprehension and vanilla understanding. Um, and my favorite reason, the reason that the Grinch representation is my favorite is because it's probably one of the most lighthearted and like sweet representations of swinger culture I've ever seen. And it's not demonized um, when it's represented. It just randomly showed up in a children's Christmas movie, which is a separate issue. Oh um, moving on to hedonist. Hedonist. So – I hear the word hedonist. I fucking love the word hedonist. I am a hedonist. Um, I, we, let's just say, let's just be real. Like physical touch and physical pleasure are very exciting. Um, but what well, I but hear is, is it all about physical touch, though. I think so. Like, I think about it in terms of 
like wanting pleasure of all kinds, like whether it's eating delicious food or the physical yeah. touch, of course, but like, yeah, I don't know. When I hear the word hedonist, the worst stereotype I can think of is somebody who is just like craving sex and pleasure at all costs. Um, also, like, I'm pretty sure my religious family would be like, that person's a hedonist. Like, it's one of those words that gets bandied and not about. use it in the right way. Yeah, it's one of those words <laughs> that gets bandied about as, like, devil worshiper synonymous. Like, like if you're not religious, you're a hedonist. Pretty much. Like and, like, or, like, well, that's a heathen. But, oh. like, hedonist, <laughs> hedonist definitely, like, is used next to words like heathen. It is used next to words like a devil worshiper in vanilla culture sometimes, depending on the religious community. It's a sin to seek pleasure. Yeah, pretty much. And so I love the word hedonist because it basically is like a slap in the face. It's like, fuck you guys. I really actually love pleasure and I identify as a hedonist. Um, but yeah, I think the stereotype within the community would just be that people who identify as hedonists are just constant pleasure seeking, constant stimulation seeking basically for the hedonism. Yeah, it may not be like what it could be is that they're not interested in the power exchange. They may not be interested. I'm going to add that to my thing, like, hedonist. They may not be interested in like BDSM play, for example, unless it's maybe more of the pleasurable or sensation variety. Like these are all assumptions that might be true. Again, you got to ask. And also this is an identifier that could be folded into other ones as well. Can I add hedonist and sensualist to my roles? Can we talk life? about that later? Can we finish the episode? This is part of the episode now. This is not part of the episode. We've now talked about sensualists and hedonists. Or we haven't talked about sensualists. I'm confused. Um, I think that is a stereotype. When you hear the word sensualist, um, I think people don't know what to think. I think that they do conflate it with hedonism. But hedonism... Make, the only thing that I could think of is that I might think it's more physical based as opposed to hedonism could be any kind of pleasure sensualist to me indicates a style of play people get confused sex sexual and sensual a lot so i think a big stereotype for sensual players is that they're sexual players and that are things about sex for them and like about like getting that let's get it on vibe you know i really like combining pain with extreme forms of physical like relief pleasure or like that kind of tickly goosebumpy feeling because i feel like that creates the best subspace okay, and it's one of my call me a sensual sadist you are but i also think another stereotype for sensualists is that they're not sadistic and it's just not true just because somebody is sensual when they play does not mean that they're not going to take pleasure in consensually hurting you unless they are some people are just sensual players. Yeah. So, so you should definitely like yeah. not assume when you see that somebody's a sensualist um, exactly what it means, but without without um, investigating. I think that's just sort of a takeaway for every identifier. You should ask first. Um, moving on to exhibitionists. Okay. Big stereotype for exhibitionists. They're always trying to get off in front of people who are not consenting. That's the oh. biggest stereotype. You hear exhibitionists, you're like, oh, so you're just flashing people. Like when I think of exhibitionists, in the worst possible well, stereotype I can imagine. From vanilla world. Yeah, it is. The vanilla world really likes to criminalize kink activity and kink and kink behavior. Um, and unfortunately, one of the most common uh, infractions for sexual offense that is discussed in the vanilla world are people who uh, indecent flashers, flashers, and indecently ex indecent exposures. Um, in reality, it's not fair to assume that exhibitionists are just out there flashing people. It just probably means that consensually they like to take uh, have scenes and do things in front of people. I think another um, stereotype is probably that fr from an exhibitionist standpoint, it's sexual, and I don't agree that that's a requirement to be an exhibitionist peeping toms the other <laughs> bad stereotype of what you can be in the vanilla world either you're a flasher or a peeping tom um that is definitely the voyeur stereotype um again in reality hopefully voyeurs are not peeping toms they may want to engage in like a role play scene that's like that but he fantasize about it yeah that's in their head and that's okay so when you're in the scene, again, when you go into a dungeon and you're enjoying watching scenes around you, you're being a voyeur. And I think being a voyeur is one of the most common kinks, actually. And even if it's not, like, necessarily a fetish for you, like, you're not fantasizing about it outside of the space, if you can enjoy playing in front of others or watching others play in front of you, you have some sort of access point for these kinks. Well, I, and we encourage it as a way to vet as well. Yeah. So um, the truth about exhibitionism and voyeurism is that it's not a criminal activity, especially if it's done consensually and most Only people in the Only if it's scene. done consensually, not especially. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> 
Sorry, I misspoke. But um, I'm just saying it's it's not the peeping Tom and Flash flasher that some of us think of because of the vanilla um, influence in our brains. Um, okay, oh, we're on to some of my favorite identifiers, daddy and mommy. So when you hear that somebody identifies as a daddy or a mommy, the first and biggest stereotype is that they are nurturing and soft daddy mommy. Like they're not sadistic. And the second biggest stereotype is that they are into age play. And I say that's a stereotype because you do not have to be an age player to be a daddy or a mommy. It's just that it commonly coincides with that community. And that community does often use daddy and mommy identifiers for D types. Um, what do you think about this, Ms. Jen? I haven't eaten yet today, so I'm, I'm fading a little bit here. Um, the reality is that they can totally be sadistic. It might be that they're not, right? Just like with everything else, it's about getting to know people. But you can identify as a daddy or a mommy and be extremely sadistic. Um, You could use it because it's maybe the nurturing aspect of your personality um, or maybe because you like to add nurturing and or discipline into your relationships, into your dynamics. So... There's a lot of different reasons why people might choose those identifiers that may not have to do with kind of what we initially assume. Um, I would also say that people often make assumptions about gender when they see these titles, especially with daddy. And obviously, um, most commonly, you'll see daddy being used gender fluidly at this point. But the same thing with the word um, master being gender fluid. There was an initial assumption back when these words were first used, basically, that they are gender specific. And that's no longer the case. Well, and I think that has to do with just our issues with gender in society. Yeah. Like it's... That's a whole other topic. (laughs) Yeah. So when we look at the word caregiver, which is kind of folded under the same category, caregiver is one of those ones where it's used so often in vanilla culture to literally mean that vocation as like someone who takes care of an elderly person usually. When I hear the word caregiver – Or child. Or yeah. Um, But when I hear the word caregiver, um, I actually don't get kink vibes from the word at all. All of my connotations in my own head – go straight to vanilla meanings. Oh, um, I go to age play more in terms of yeah. stereotypes. Um, I haven't heard a lot of stereotypes against the the term caregiver, but I think it's because outside of the age play community, we don't see it as much. I don't really think that you're likely to see a caregiver identifier on somebody who isn't an age player or who isn't involved in that. But that in and of itself could be a stereotype. Maybe there are people who identify as caregivers who are not within that community. It's also a good alternative for a a gender neutral term. Yeah. Moving on to baby girl or baby boy. Um, first off the bat, just talking so much about gender neutral stuff. It is frustrating and difficult um, to not have op- options for baby girl, baby boy on FetLife and just in general to not have defaults that are non-gender specific. And that is just something that's frustrating. They don't have an option for like little one or anything like that. They have little on FetLife. But like there's there are a lot of people who use like B-O-I as a gender as a gender fluid word but in any case this is often an assumption made that they are age players as well and once again it actually doesn't have to be that way that's just a stereotype or an assumption made um i think also within the realm of age play people will hear this term and if they find out it's an age play term for somebody they'll assume it means age regression and that's not always true for a baby girl or a baby boy yeah i think a lot of times and Granted, like we've said again and again, you have to talk to the person and how they use the identifier. But I think oftentimes when people are using baby girl, baby boy, um, sometimes it's sexualized or it could just be somebody who has characteristics they that they enjoy leaning into that are uh, more childlike. Um, but that it's not necessarily a regression, which I think often gets placed on the identifier of like a, a little or being in a little's headspace. But again, it can be different for different people. Some people have the exact opposite definition. So, well, and this kind of leads us right into age player and little. Obviously, well, age for, player is like an umbrella, right? Age player is like the umbrella term. I feel the assumption when you hear age player is that they play with their age. They are mentally able to shift their age or they mentally have regress, regressive age. That's interesting because I see my assumption is that they're into age role play. 
Well, and so and there's, not regressive. <laughs> the, here are these two different stereotypes or assumptions made. And um, again, we're deliberately sharing assumptions we could make. But the best tactic for something like H player, um, if you have an assumption or a lean or you think you understand it, chances are until you talk to the person, you're not going to fucking know. And I feel like I keep repeating that over and over again for all of these things. But for H player, um, the best thing you can know is that they're part of the H play community. That's the, probably the safest and only true assumption you could make about an they identifier like, like that. play in some way. Yeah. Um, little. This one kind of hurts my heart to even try to delve into stereotypes, and yet there are many stereotypes. Um, I oh, think- oh, wait. Big stereotype for age play, pedophilia. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That is a very big, very harmful stereotype for H players. Um, obviously, I think the reason that like I first didn't even think of that just now is because to me, they're so not it's the atrocious, same. It's atrocious, but yeah, it's a big stereotype. A lot of people have a very hard time understanding this fetish, basically, or this interest. And I say fetish, but I even hesitate to say that because a lot of people in the H play community are actually experiencing um, activation of the childhood self. And they're doing it within a kink environment because the kink the kink world is one of the only safe places, sadly, to be able to be little. A lot of people who have a little side are not simply accessing it for the sake of kink. They're literally regressing or processing or directly interacting with a child fragment of themselves that is still alive in themselves. And I don't think all humans experience this, but I think more humans experience this than will admit it. In the kink world, we encourage people to be able to talk to and interact with their childhood self. And um, that's really, I feel, at the core of what age play really is. But people mistake that for pedophilia who have no interest or no understanding of the community. Well, like in the psychological world, like in the psychotherapy world, there's... There's often talk of clients needing to, quote unquote, reparent themselves. And that is not seen as a a negative or anything like that. It's not usually judged. Um, But I think in the kink world, people get to explore and create a reparenting, if this is the path they're going down, a reparenting that just doesn't have to be solo work, if that made sense. Like in, you know, as a client in therapy, you know, they might be expected to reparent themselves. And in in BDSM, they can actually recreate a dynamic that helps them through reparenting because it's not always I don't know where I'm going with this like no it makes good sense like you're pointing out the way that the age play community can work and that there is a psychological how precedence. It can be therapeutic there's a psychological precedent even in the vanilla world with, with therapy to understand what age play really is um, and I think I would really like to do our next episode on age play and on um, age regression or littles um, but for now it suffice to say in no way is age playing um, pedophilia and that stereotype is unbelievably damaging and harmful and it creates a stigma especially against people who are age players who identify as abdl which we will talk about when we come to that terminology i'm assuming it's here on fetlife let me double check and see if well I can see. while you do that you know so i'm somebody who when i was still working as a therapist in the vanilla world i worked with sex offenders like that was my focus for like eight years um so i will say that there is a huge difference a huge difference between consensual age play consensual regression caretaking etc um and actual non-consensual uh crime assaults whatever you know um, manipulation, etc. Yeah, children are, are not adults, and people who engage in age play are negotiating from their chronological self age. Um, so the negotiation and the consent is there, whereas with actual pedoph- pedophilia, it is not. It literally can't be with pedophilia. Um, there is no ABDL that I am finding on the drop down list, which fucking shocks sure? me. I'm shocked. I'm looking right now on FetLife, and I do not see ABDL at all. Um, And that actually concerns me because I'm wondering if they're deliberately hiding that 
option because they don't want people to identify that way, possibly because of accusations of pedophilia um, or them trying to make sure that there's no question that pedophilia is not allowed on the site. Um, ABDL, I feel, is one of the most misunderstood and stigmatized um, identifiers for the H play community. ABDL stands for adult baby diaper lover. Yeah. Just in case people don't know. Um, I actually recently had a vanilla person in my life ask me about this fetish particularly because it was something that they didn't understand and they wanted me to offer some understanding and clarity. Um, And I was sad to have to admit to them, you know, a lot of people in the kink scene don't have compassion for ABDL players um, and don't understand it themselves. And so there's just all of these stigmas and all of these stereotypes. And again, I feel like that pedophile like stereotype is unfortunately, even if it's not overtly applied to ABDL players, um, people subconsciously associate it with that. Um, also, I think people just get upset with like poopy diapers and diaper changing. I think people really focus on the diaper aspect. Um, and some and a lot of people, I think that do ABDL will some will still have limits. Some some not all, but some yeah. will still have limits in terms of that kind of stuff. Well, it's sort of the same um, with like pup play. Like well, not all I was pup just going to say, I was actually just going to say, I think that you know, I think about pet play. Um, in a similar way in, in the sense that it's a chance for somebody to completely like disrobe of their adult self and to spend an amount of time with in the mindset of zero responsibilities, zero, you know, being taken care of. I mean, I'm talking about ABDL, like baby, uh, category not necessarily like middles or you know but being 100 percent reliant on somebody else um you know just having zero responsibilities and being able to do that and like pet players kind of do the same thing right if they're a pup or a cat or whatever it's that moment of time or that set amount of time that they're allowed to just not have any responsibilities and be taken care of and, you know, just explore that part of themselves. I mean, they're very different things, but I wanted to kind of see sort of in the Venn diagram of what might be a a draw. Yeah. Another um, age player stereotype, but I cannot believe that I almost like forgot this is that age players experience childhood trauma and are regressing back to the age they were when they were traumatized and are either needing to relive the trauma or re-experience childhood in a way that isn't traumatic. And while this may actually be 100% true for some age players, it's not automatically true. Well, that's like saying that a pup player is re-experiencing their time as a pup, but that's not possible. It doesn't quite translate to pup playing, (laughs) but it does translate to the larger stereotype against all kinksters, that all kinksters were traumatized and are re-experiencing things or you know, processing trauma through kink. It can be the case, but to assume that people have a little or to assume that people are age players because of this is wrong. And it it, it is a harmful stereotype because it it kind of devalues the wholesomeness um, or the organic desire for many just to be able to connect with this piece regardless of whether or not there was trauma. Another example of that is there's plenty of people who are into CNC. Consensual non-consent. Yeah, who have not been the actual victim of that type of situation. I'm being very careful with my wording um, that just enjoy that type of play. Yeah. So it's not a prerequisite and it's important not to allow that stereotype to um, govern how you see people who are under, under the age play category. Um, little, middle and big are up next. Um, so for littles, um, I mean, I think the biggest stereotype is the assumption that littles are always around the age of four to six. Um, littles can range in age. I think ABDL, I think, goes up until like one or two. It's usually like zero to two. Yeah. Um, but littles can span from like two up until probably like nine. Well, the thing is, is that it's also used as a general umbrella term. It is also used like that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are other stereotypes for littles. The biggest one being like, oh, they always want a color. Oh, they always want to have stuffies. Oh, they always want this or that. And like, I do want to remind you, there are so many different personality types on children. There are shy children. There are outgoing children. There are kids who like to color. There are kids who like to read. Like 
a lot of people, um, I feel, feel have a pressure when they enter the little community, if they are a little themselves, to be a certain way so that they match their ideal of what a little looks like. Um, another stereotype. Yeah, we know littles who don't like stickers. Yeah, what? exactly. Um, middles aren't talked about very often. <laughs> and neither are bigs. And yet, I know, I, I know a middle. We know a middle. Um, and I think a lot of people probably actually have a middle and they just don't know it's an option. But middles are people who are like in middle school like or like, yeah, like between teen. the ages of like 10 to probably like 14, I would say is like the possible age range for somebody who's a middle. Um, and I think uh, shout out to all the middles because there's not a ton of stereotypes that I'm aware of for middles because middles don't get a lot of focus or, you know, I don't know. I, I don't hear people talking They're about the it. switches of the age play world. The switches, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think for middles too, like the assumption might be that they don't need to have middle space or they don't need to have um, designated areas, designated times to be able to be a middle because it's like, well, how do you indulge a middle? It's easy for like littles. It's a very obvious for many transition for headspaces, but middles can operate in, in the adult world. Sometimes I feel middles don't get as much opportunity to be themselves of, around other middles because there's not as many spaces that not accommodate as them. Different. Yeah, so while this isn't so much a stereotype, it's just more of like a hardship for people who identify as middles. It might be also that, you know, you you use whatever the age is that you identify with, that it's not necessarily a regression, but a fantasy use like in role play yeah. as well. Um, but I would say like it's important for middles to be able to accommodate themselves and to indulge in that part of themselves as much as it is for a little and it just might look different for what a middle needs. Um, I think it's, the only stereotype I can think of is that middles are maybe expected to act as caretakers when they're in little spaces with other littles because they're older. And I don't think that's fair. I think that middles should be allowed to indulge in being a child or indulge in being young um, without having to caretake. And I think sadly, a lot of us growing up have had to caretake. And like, I just hope that... I wonder if there's a stereotype that middles are brats. <laughs> <laughs> that's also maybe a stereotype it's funny do you know what the word big means in the age community does it does it mean like I've, a caretaker role i've always seen like it a big as to a little between an older adolescent who is coming upon adulthood and or because think about that age range can also be a caretaker of younger children so i've seen it kind of as a as a crossover uh overlap kind of term yeah where it could be used either way uh, or both. I think maybe I guess a stereotype would be that bigs are always there to act as caretakers or bigs are always there or to act as babysitters. And it could be possible that bigs might just want to be there to be themselves. Like maybe you just want to hang out in your 17 year old headspace and you, you don't be really want to go, we need an adult. Yeah. Like I think <laughs> that would be what I would imagine is just always to fall into that pattern. But um, I think actually what we will want to do is talk to, I think we might want to have an interview with somebody from the community who represents these things. It'd be a really fun panel. Once we can figure out interviews, we should definitely so, do that. <laughs> so many age play panel ideas and so many episodes are popping up in my head right now on the topic of age play. Hey, Miss Jen, knock, knock. Who's there? Uh, the newsletter. <laughs> newsletter who? News. <laughs> this is not a thought out joke. News <laughs> Newsletter me up by signing up for the newsletter oh lord okay so we have started a newsletter uh that includes you know all the things that we're doing on the podcast and on instagram and other stuff all in one place also if we ever have any like giveaways or contests i don't know maybe at some point then that's where you'll hear don't hear promise about them it. giveaways i'm not promising contests. shit um, but to be the point clear. is to get everything in one place for K's for Kinky, uh, then definitely sign up for the newsletter and the link will be in the show notes. Let's move on to Brat. I and mean, we've talked about Brat in another episode. I think Brat gets a couple different stereotypes based on how long you've been in the scene. Um, I think that for people, older generations who have been in the scene for a while, may still hold some stereotype that brat equals negative, that brat equals um, uh, disrespectful, um, resistant, uh, I don't know what other words you want to come up with. But um, I think now people who've been in the scene more recently or people who, like myself, who like have myself. kind of shifted perspective – um, assume that brat is not necessarily a negative, um, but that it is somebody who is very sarcastic or 
like a smart ass and is just looking for discipline, punishment, etc. Yeah. Um, well, that could be the case. But another big thing with brats, a big stereotype with brats is that they don't negotiate and that it, it pull, pulls over like it pulls over into everything they do. I know an assumption. An assumption is that a brat is automatically means that they're on the S side of the slash. So not true. Like my dominant is such a brat. Well, and um, I've finally seen more and more talk online or in groups of people admitting like, yes, there are definitely bratty D types. And so yeah. I think it's becoming a more of a thing. But I, I still think generally speaking, most people associate it with yeah. the right side of the slash. Um, so we're skipping some of them on the FetLife profile because to be quite there's honest, we're halfway down and there's way too many. <laughs> Maybe um, maybe we'll do <clears throat> oh my god maybe we'll do a part three like months from now <laughs> maybe or maybe what we'll do is we'll only speak to things that we feel we can so um here's one that I feel is a really big one cougar the word cougar definitely exists exactly in the same capacity in the vanilla world as it does in the kink world which is really funny to me like that word just translates exactly An um, older woman who goes after. Usually younger well, men. Usually younger men. Which is the stereotype that it's a it's a heterosexual yeah. situation. Um, and also, I feel like when we hear the word cougar, we think of older women and all of us have a different standard for older. So like to me, when I hear cougar, I think of the, the age gap has to be big enough where it raises an eyebrow. For me, I more so look at the age gap, not so much the age of the woman. So like, you know, Technically, I tease Miss Jen that she's a cougar because there's a 15-year age gap between us. But I don't think Miss Jen is an older woman. Like, she's older than me and, like, but she's not, like, an old lady, you know? But, like, some people – I've seen people identify as cougars who are 30, my age, who are identifying as cougars because they're going after – going after? Wow. They're going after like people who are, like, 18 or 19 or 20. And that is still a sizable age gap. So, first of all, I'm proud that I could not technically be categorized as a cougar if I had a penchant for dating younger people, um, of course, who are, you know, consensually of legal age. But uh, I think a big one with cougars is literally that they do go after people. They are hunting. You know, the word cougars do hunt, like, actual yeah, animal cougars. Yeah, it's – like, the description – the vanilla slang for cougar is a middle-aged woman. Yeah. So me. Um, seeking a romantic relationship with a younger man. So yeah. that is the stereotype. In in the kink world, I find it fascinating that people would self-identify as cougars. I think that's interesting because I've always found the term to be a little bit derogatory in the vanilla culture. Um, and I find that it, that it diminishes the beauty of human relationships oh, and kind of fetishizes, fetish, fetishizes just the age. Michelle's over there laughing. What did you find? I just found... Like, it says, why do they call older women cougars? So <laughs> this just made me laugh um, and kind of be sad. According, okay, blah, 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 whatever. Um, originated in Vancouver, Canadians used the term cougar as a derogatory word for older women who hung out at bars to go home with whatever men were left lingering at the end of the night. <laughs> I really like that. That's, that's a great origin for the word oh, cougar. God. Um, I think obviously there is a lot of stereotype for this word and a lot of baggage that comes with this word. Um, I feel like the biggest correction to the stereotype that I could possibly offer is that cougars can actually be of any age as long as the age gap between them and the partner is wide enough to, again, raise the eyebrow. That would be my personal my personal definition. But also just cougars don't have to be any particular um, – sexual orientation they don't have to be heterosexual to be a cougar miss jen is definitely a cougar well according to canadians cougars are just middle-aged female horn dogs yeah basically <laughs> um but yeah that's an interesting one it's an interesting but one i think most people like you're saying even a 30 year old but i think most people would categorize cougars as middle-aged and above i honestly always i guess isn't there a term for older than middle-aged well that's what i'm literally wondering because like i always imagined cougars as older and as i've gotten older my imagination of the word older has changed so like when i was 18 45 was old now that i'm 30 jaguar the jaguar (laughs) now that i'm 30 i think 60 looks a little older to me now but like when i'm 50 i'm gonna think 80 is old like it just kind of like depends okay so under 40 you're a puma a cougar is in their 40s, and 50 or over is a jaguar. And where are you finding this information? <laughs> well, the internet, of course. Ah, the best, <laughs> the best source. 
<laughs> oh my god um from the healthy journal.com <laughs> Oh my god! Thank you, Vanilla Culture. Thank you, Vanilla Internet. But it's always seeking younger men, so it's still a very heteronormative assumption. Yeah. Here's 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 one that I want to touch on. Um, I'm just gonna throw this at Miss Jen and see what she has to say. Furry. We've met one that was adorable. That's I want to talk about furries because I feel like they're under underrepresented and misunderstood in the kink community. And I recently was just talking with a furry and did a panel with an amazing furry. Um, you should go check it out. It's on Fuck University. Um, and it's on Lupercalia, and it definitely talks about furries and monster fuckers and werewolves in BDSM um, culture. You will you totally... be linking a link to it? I in will the show be linking notes? a link in the shout outs. Yeah, no, the show notes. Not in the, the show shout-outs. notes. Yeah, I will. Um, but so for this for this panel though, I got to talk to a furry or representative of the furry community, and um, one of the things that was consistent with this person and another furry I've spoken to is that they're often mistaken for pet players. The biggest stereotype with furries amongst BDSMers is not understanding that furries are not pet players. They are different. Um, furries are often anthropomorphized, sometimes cartoonified versions of an animal um, fursona, basically. Usually they're wearing things that people would call mascot suits. Um, and there's sort of a humanized uh, a humanization that occurs with furries, at least to my understanding. Whereas with pet players there's more of a, a dehumanization that occurs. You turn into an animal, you go from human to animal. And with furries, it's more so you take an animal um, that you really identify with or that you really love and you turn that animal into more of a human version of itself and you occupy that, um, that, that animal. You occupy that character, basically. Um, the furry community is a unique subsection and the stereotype that they are pet players or that it's all sexual, um, these stereotypes are inaccurate. Um, and I would say they're harmful only because there's already such a separation sometimes between furries and pet players and between furries and BDSMers. And that lack of understanding um, just creates boundaries that don't need to be there. The furry community is awesome. And any furry I've ever met, like they've always just been so kind, so welcoming. Like maybe that's a stereotype that I'm putting on them that they're always going to be kind and welcoming. But I think it's a cool community and I think I wish I knew more about it. And maybe that's something that we need to investigate too, is talking to some furries. Ms. Jen, what are some stereotypes that you know for pet players? I mean, probably stereotypes would be that they're people that just like to run around and act like animals. Um, whereas for a lot of people, it's it's really a, just a different headspace. It's not just I'm going to play like I'm a cat or a dog or whatever. Um, it's actually a headspace shift um, for many. For some, it might just be to be playful. But um, I think that is a common stereotype that it's just, oh, somebody just wants to be like walked around like a dog or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the one overlap between pet players and, and furries that I have noticed is that many people from both of those communities feel that their fursona is an actual part of their soul or their spirit that they get to it like embody when they're in that headspace. So it's for many people very, very deeply personal, intimate, and important to who they are. Another stereotype is that it's all sexual. For many pet players, it's not. Um, it just kind of depends on the pet player, honestly. Yeah, kind of like with age play, they it's usually a separate thing. Like they'll have a separate space if people want to play within a sexual realm with it. Um, I don't think it's the norm. And yeah, I mean, that might be a stereotype that it is sexual. I guess we could touch on primal play. Primal play, the biggest stereotype is honestly, I feel a miscommunication or people misunderstanding the word. Many people who hear the word primal think it has to do with pet play. Um, and it doesn't have to at all. It certainly can. And I've seen a fucking bomb primal scene between two pet players that was sick. It was so cool. It was a cat and a fox fighting to to the death in a primal scene for many primal players it has to do with accessing kind of a kind of a uncivilized part of the self or a core part of yourself an a organic part. part a primal <laughs> part of yourself it's in the name people yeah so primal players that's the biggest stereotype that i've heard of is that it has to include animal Animals. play or pet play yeah. yeah i would say i mean it can be if you want to think about it as animalistic characteristics maybe um but it doesn't have to be that you are in some sort of animal persona like i use my claws my nails a lot i love you um, called them your claws i do that oh, all the time i know i liked it you're so cute <laughs> depending on what i have to work with like you know i 
will scratch i will claw i will tear like it just depends i mean it doesn't have to be like this over the top take down wrestling you know thing to be primal maybe sometimes it could be okay but i'm just saying the stereotype is probably that that it is like this big takedown like thing and it doesn't have to be yeah, um, the last stereotype I'd say is that people assume primal means sexual because sexuality is often seen as a very primal human urge. It doesn't have to be sexual at all. They are separated. So humans can make anything sexual or they don't have to be sexual at all. So yeah, it depends on <laughs> with what... everything that we've talked about. So what about spankos? So one thing I've recently heard is that there are spankos who don't like being called spankos, but... <laughs> I don't know if that's a majority or just like a personal thing. Um, I will say that probably stereotypes um, stereotypes might be that that's all they're interested in, that it's just let me spank a butt. Um, and it's all about just hands on spanking, um, whereas it doesn't have to be. I think a lot of Spankos use a lot of implements and enjoy implements. Um, they might not, and they might be into other stuff as well, other, you know, edge play or other types of play, but this is like their primary focus. If they're going to identify as a Spanko, um, you know, there are spanking centric parties, events, whole weekend events. Like it is definitely a large part of the community, And there's the overlap of most players, regardless of how they identify, if they are into kink play at all, include spanking. (laughs) So um, it's just that people who identify as spankos, as far as I can tell and have seen, um, is that that is their more primary focus and what really curls their toes, if you will. The very last term for today's episode and the conclusion of this two-part series is a word that gets thrown around a lot. We've thrown it around. We joke about it. Sometimes we deliberately misattribute things or maybe we sometimes lean into stereotypes because it's tempting and because, honestly, they do it to us kinksters all the time. The word, of course, is vanilla. This is an actual identifier on Fat Life. ABDL is missing, but vanilla is present. You can go onto a, f- a, f- a. Why are you here, vanilla person? You can go onto a, a site all about BDSM and choose to self identify as somebody who is not interested in BDSM. This is a real thing. Well, I think some people use the term to say, like, I am brand spanking new to this. I, have, I am curious, but I would not consider myself a part of the world yet. Yeah. That could um, be it. Vanilla has a lot of stereotypes associated with it. And again, like some of them are true. And I think it's fair to say that many kinksters have some resentment towards the vanilla culture or some resentment towards vanilla people in their life because they've received a lot of judgment. I feel more so resentful towards vanilla culture than I do vanilla individuals because I feel that the vanilla culture targets BDSM people and kinksters. I feel as a queer person already targeted by the vanilla culture at large. Um, and it feels worse also being in another underrepresented community that is often um, tokenized or like just treated like shit in media. So I would say one of the biggest stereotypes around the word vanilla is that it equals boring. That is that a big is one. One of the biggest stereotypes that I see Um to the point where when I have said to a vanilla friend that they're vanilla, they were took offense because they're, they also associated it with something negative or boring. Um, and the fact is we all have vanilla aspects of ourselves. We all have vanilla things that we do in life um, that we just, that aren't, it's just, it's a part of everybody and it may not be how you identify if you identify as a kinky person or as a kinkster of some kind, <clears throat> then you may exclude vanilla from your identifiers, but I don't care how kinky, power exchangey, whatever you are, there is vanilla in your life. Like if you don't agree, if you think you are a hundred percent all the time, some kind of kink power exchange going on, email me. 
Um, Another throwdown. The last episode, she threw <laughs> down with 18 year old masters. Today, she's throwing down with people who say well, there's no vanilla in their life. Because, look, unless you have a fetish for like the post office, then going to drop off a package is a vanilla thing that you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, there's going to be mean, vanilla aspects to somewhere. I'm sure somebody everybody. could argue that as a kinkster, everything they do is inherently kinky. So I mean, when they, they drop off their a mail, they're all the time. I'm not. Nego- I'm not negotiating. <laughs> but that. when they're dropping off the mail, it makes it a kinky mail drop off. <sighs> oh lord. I'm just saying. Um, Plus, like most people have vanilla people in their life. Like we have vanilla friends still in our life. Our family, as far as we know, is vanilla, right? And that's not a bad thing. I love spending time with my vanilla friends. Yeah. You know, and my um, family. Another big stereotype that I kind of was already kind of leaning into is just the assumption that all vanilla people are always looking down upon or judging kinky people. Um, But it's really unfair to attribute what happens in media towards kinksters to the vanilla world at large. In the same way that as a queer person, if I just judged based on media how queer people are treated, I then went out to everybody who's not queer and and I was like, you just hate queer people and I assumed it of everybody. That's just no way to go about life and it's also not true. There are a lot of vanilla allies, so to speak, out there for kinksters and a lot of people who are vanilla who are totally down they might not be interested themselves in kink activities but they're super supportive or even curious about it um vanilla people are not automatically the antagonists of kink people i think one more is that vanilla people are not as evolved as kinksters yeah and that's just not fucking true um you know and i mean i will say that i sometimes have that when it comes to specific issues Especially polyam like, issues, even well, though that's that not too, kinky but inherently. But like, not even with that. But like things like I'll see a Psychology Today article, for example, um, that is a vanilla magazine, whatever. Um, and they'll come out with an article about this groundbreaking idea of having a regular check-in with your partner and how that betters your relationship. And it's like, okay, um, <laughs> kinksters have been doing this for a very long time right and vanilla people could be too but it's like there's things that we do because we have to because we're dealing with things that are could be more landminey um <laughs> that's not a word but no, it works. <clears throat> but we have to communicate more in depth about things or negotiate things that people in vanilla relationships may not or talk about past traumas that vanilla people may not because they're not going into a scene that's utilizing knife play or whatever you know what I'm saying like we put these things out in the open I believe more than vanilla peeps and so to me I do hold that stereotype sometimes because I see it so much um, well, and it does, but I, it but it doesn't mean that in reality, vanilla people aren't enlightened yeah, <laughs> or I evolved. Mean, we have to remember that the discourse that we're having in the kink scene is specialized discourse, and it in some ways is a privilege to engage in that discourse. So, in the same way, like I have a friend who runs um, queer and trans support groups and who is really steeped in the discourse surrounding all of those things, and. I am not as up to date and as immersed in some of that discourse as they are. So I learn a lot from them and they certainly don't treat me like shit because I don't know every single piece of terminology they know. Um, In the same way, in the kink world, we're talking about consent so often because it's so pertinent to our activities and we talk about abuse so often because we're so, we have to be so careful. The vanilla world may not overtly focus on some of these things as frequently as they ought to. But they do, the vanilla world is also hugely expansive. Like so many things fall under the category potentially of vanilla. Um, so it's just kind of an unfair standard. Um, and I, I, again, yeah, we are guilty of this. Like I think I, I agree that like there is a tendency sometimes to feel like the vanilla people are just not doing things as well as kinksters. And, um, Which may shock vanilla people listening to this. Well, because vanilla people <laughs> might feel exactly the same about us. They might feel like, wow, y'all are engaging in these fucking dynamics that are super abusive looking or that seem very backwards feminist wise. Like a lot yeah. of vanilla people would have complaints about the way we do things that would sound valid, even if we might argue or disagree. Um, so I think it's just important to remember that the kink world and BDSM is a culture. It is an area where discourse is specialized. Um, and there is nothing wrong ultimately with being vanilla and we should probably be looking a little bit closer at how we talk about vanilla people, myself included, but I will not 
sit down and like pull punches when I'm talking about vanilla media. That I don't apologize for. I am very, very specific about how I feel with vanilla media, but that doesn't need to be applied to all vanilla people everywhere. Yeah. Well, that was our episode, uh, and that was the end of the series on uh, uh, on stereotype me. We would love to know your thoughts. Um, Please let us know on the Discord if you're not already on there. Check it out. You can join for free and most of the discord is um, available for free we do have obviously specialized areas that only patrons can access um but you but, can access most of those even just by going in at the ground tier at one dollar a month yeah so we'd love to hear from you there um of course we have to as we always do thank our amazing team lena tussled and said um, Lena's been a fan of ours and started to support us very early on um, when we were just a YouTube channel. Lena progressed to helping us out on um, our Discord community and has just been a really amazing person and we definitely are proud to consider her a friend. Lena's great. Um, Tussled is also a wonderful human. Tussled writes all of our notes for our episodes and also takes notes during meetings and is helping us to develop and um, steer some of our content. So. Um, the final person on our team is Sid. Sid is the freaking bomb. He helps us out uh, specifically on the tech side um, and has constructed and um, helped, to, helped to build our Discord and is helping to build our website as we speak. So we could not do this without our amazing team, Lena Tesseld and Sid. Thank you so much. All right, precious kinklings, that's it for today and something new coming at you next week. Bye. Bye.